0: This is the Thanks for Sharing podcast, the podcast where we explore all things recovery, healing, and relationship. Remember to subscribe and download episodes in the iTunes store, Google Play, or on the Podbean app. And while you're there, I'd love a review. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Thanks for Sharing. I'm your host, Jackie Pack. Today on our episode, I have back with me Rachel Allen, who was um, my guest last episode, and we started a series talking about sexual health. So if you haven't listened to that one, back up, go listen to that one. This one will probably make more sense um, as we talk about it, and you'll know who Rachel is. So welcome, Rachel. Hi. So today we were going to talk about um, religion and sexual health.
1: Yeah. Specifically, like, religions that are structured, like, patriarchally structured or um, uh, conservative sexually, Mm -hmm. I think would be a word that I would use there and how that has shaped and defined sexuality Mm -hmm. in our culture and in us as individuals. Right. Um, so one of the things kind of the two common things that come out of this is the idea that we are not, we don't own our sexuality that someone else owns our sexuality as females, as females.
2: Mm -hmm. Um,
1: and sometimes as males too, right? Like we talk about, uh, that being gods or Mm -hmm. like for God or for to be set apart. Mm -hmm. Though we do put a lot more of that focus on how women do that than how men do that. Right. Um, But really I wanted like one of the things that has come up is the idea of purity culture and that has kind of shaped America at least for Mm -hmm. the last three decades. We know that it's been pretty present and was kind of revamped and kind of got a new following and Mm -hmm. uh, kind of became its own sort of cult belief system in the early 90s.
0: Which has impacted, you know, several generations. And prior to that, I mean, it may not have been the same purity culture that we see that kind of uh, came to the forefront in the 90s. But there was there's been this purity culture in America for hundreds of years. Yeah.
1: Okay, so we have to look at, too, we were part of our founding as a nation in America. And I'm assuming that most of your listeners are Americans. Um, but most of our, like, we have to even look at the founding of America. There were a lot of Puritans mm-hmm. that were moving here because of English exile. Because they were too strict. They were too rigid. The English church didn't really like that. hmm and the English church at that time was kind of moving towards a hey, we just had a really, really hard time in which like a bunch of people died because of because of kings and overthrowing different hierarchies and things like that. And so England was kinda of like, Yeah, we don't we don't want any big rules. Like we're we're just wanting to like people can come and God is love and mm-hmm. and, and that's kind of Where England as a church was going, which is funny to think about England being the less strict one. Right. But Puritans moved to America because of that. And they were very structured sexually. They were very um, rigid in terms of their sexual beliefs. Like We get some interesting readings from like nathan hawthorne mm-hmm. and the scarlet letter the pilgrim's progress um what is the the, the which one uh witch at blackbird pond oh right which really kind of shows us how that was shaping america and mm-hmm. like i just recently listened to a podcast that went in deep about the salem witch trials mm-hmm. and how much like sexuality played a part in mm-hmm. that
0: was that unobscured yes yeah. it was okay. it was so
1: good and so we see those tenants kind of carrying through, even though most of us would say, like, we weren't raised by Puritans. It was in our it foundation. W- it was very much in our yeah. foundation. And regardless of where we've kind of gone after that, that is our foundation. And so when we're looking at the idea of purity and female sexuality and owning sexuality and being able to live in our sexuality like that has not been allowed in mm-hmm. America really ever. Right. And
0: just like we do with clients, a lot of times we will say to them like you need to know your story mm-hmm. and your story didn't just begin at birth. Right. So we're looking at your parents, your grandparents, whatever that looks like, right? We're going back because if change is going to happen, we have to know what the root foundation is. Right. And once we can understand that, then we can understand what steps need to be taken to move the client wherever they're wanting to go. And so I think that's similar as a country, right? If we, if we want to make progress or if, you know, some people are like the sexual message is not working Mm -hmm. or we're too sexualized. I mean, on some levels we're too sexualized, on others we are not enough. Right. And so I think we can't, Outpace or outgrow our foundational roots, and we have to go back and talk about that story.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that I like, I I'm a linguist by nature. Like I love words, and I love kind of understanding the meaning of words. Like I think that there's a big difference between a sexualized cult- culture mm-hmm. and a sexually healthy culture. Right. Right. Sexualized is kind of a it's voyeuristic. It's exhibitionist. It's very out there and. Really, it's something that can be bartered or owned or used as currency. It's salacious. it's tempting. it's
0: seductive, seductive.
1: It's that other thing, that thing that we're not supposed to do. Mm-hmm. It's on the edge of what is taboo, and sexual health really says like this is an integral part of human beings mm-hmm. like, we literally cannot survive as a race without our sexuality. And there are whole cultures that have festivals around sex that are open to what it means to be female, what it means to be male, and and anything kind of in between that. Like, we know that Native Americans didn't have two genders. Mm-hmm. That kind of came to America with the Puritans. And we've lost some of that in trying to control and mandate what sexuality is supposed to look like for individuals.
0: So let's talk a little bit about the fear of sexuality.
1: Okay. I got super excited <laughs> about that. So I think historically, and again, well, not again, because I haven't actually stated this today, but when I'm looking at the history of patriarchal religions and patriarchal structures. I am looking at Christianity, Hebrew, and Islam. And that's kind of my, like, I know more about that than other religions. Um, I know way more about Christianity than I do Mm -hmm. Judaism and Islam. So as I'm talking, like I'm talking through a Christian lens, but I'm sure that there are variances in different denominations and sects of that. And I'm sure that most of this is going to make sense. But when the Christian church kind of started taking over Europe, one of the things, like, there are two things that I think kind of happened at the same time that were really imperative to sexual health in religion. It also shaped our hierarchy. And one of those is Augustine was sexually anorexic.
0: Mm. And Not. Augustine was, just for listeners. Augustine
1: was, he's an, he's an apostle, um, but he was a theologian. And he, um, he gave us most, like a lot of the tenets that we think of as like foundational theological beliefs came from Augustine. So he really put down the idea of like what the Holy Spirit was. Mm. The idea that God was, like we have a unified God We're a monotheist religion, um, so we're not polytheist. So before he came to Christianity, there are jokes in uh, the theological world that Augustine slept with every prostitute within the Roman Empire. Mm. Like, he was known to be a ladies' man. He was known to be very sexual, and then when he came to Christianity, like, he felt this burden of what he had kind of done and created and really kind of the absence of that. Which I would say that Augustine was a sex addict who then went into sexual anorexia and shame. Mm, okay, But in that, like, a lot of Augustine's writings were talking about, like, how women were created by the devil. Like, he's the one that brought up the idea that the original sin started with women. Mm-hmm. And like it, the fall of man was woman's fault. Um, he put a lot off on women. Mm. And that, you know, like women tempt you out of purity or women tempt you out of your walk with God. And so you have these two things happening where he's creating these huge leaps in theological foundation. And he's kind of a misogynist mm-hmm. in big ways. And that got wrapped into his Mm -hmm. writings.
0: Because in early Christianity, I mean, when we were talking about females, right? I mean, there had to be a big debate about whether or not females even had a soul. Right. And then that evolved to whether they could be saved. Right. So this is some of what you're talking about, like this shifting the blame to women Mm -hmm. and kind of externalizing their own maybe desires or appetites And making that about somebody else. Right. And otherwise, if it weren't for them, they would have been in this great walk with God.
1: Right. Which in some ways, and I'm not comparing Augustine to Hitler, but in some ways what he did with women and putting all the sin blame on them is what Hitler did to the Jews in the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. Where he was like, Jews are evil because they are the ones that crucified Jesus. Mm -hmm. Well, Jesus was a Jew. Like, you know, so there is some of that, like... When we shift the blame, that becomes a big problem Mm -hmm. when we're talking about huge things like sin nature and all of that. So as that kind of developed now, there's a lot of history in that too. And I'm a nerd, so I could go into all (laughs) of it, but we also saw polytheistic religions and pagan religions really get attacked by the church and most, and I mean, the church is trying to spread the gospel in very militant and bloody ways, which I do not agree with, but one of those things was to snuff out pagan religions, Mm -hmm. which tended to be very nurturing towards women, tended to be very like goddess oriented. We know that a lot of power came from fertility and maternal being. And that's also like we had herbalists and uh, midwives and things like that that came from like pagan religions that really valued and, and in some ways worshipped the female body. Mm-hmm. So those two things are happening at once. Pagan
0: religions were also usually more like the people or the peasants or whereas yes. Christianity tended to be the royalty, the lords, the, yes. all of that kind of stuff. So
1: yeah, so when Constantine made Christianity the religion of Rome, Rome then got the backing of the elite and the military where pagans were really hearth and home. Like mm-hmm. this is what we practice within our four walls. So there wasn't a lot of power with it in terms of militant mm-hmm. power. So in that, a lot of femaleness specifically and the idea of purity, the idea of sexuality, uh, got lost or turned into something dark and mm-hmm. dirty.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Fast forward 250 years, and you have to say, like, witch pot trials. Fast forward to that, you know, where we are kind of present day. And you can see, like, in our modern history, we did have, like, the 70s, when the feminist movement really, like, started and kind of came to existence. Or at least like, the second wave of feminism. Yeah, the second right? wave. Like, 60s was first wave, 70s was second mm-hmm. wave. And, like, we kind of started seeing that idea of, like, sexual freedom in... More liberal parts of the country. I don't know that that really ever happened in more conservative parts of the country like the southeast or the breadbasket. Mm-hmm. But I would definitely say like New York and California, those kind of places got to experience that. I would guess that most farms and most like rural towns in the United States didn't experience as much of that. But in the 80s, we got a huge Christian backlash or a huge like conservative backlash from that, right? Like, because women wanted birth control and Mm -hmm. women wanted to leave the home and start working and not have children as much. And and it really created a lot of financial freedom for women. That's when we first started looking at marital rape as actually Mm -hmm. being a thing. And then the conservatives really started pushing against this idea of women owning their sexuality. And then we get the purity culture movement that kind of comes after that, which is this idea of giving your purity, your virginity, not even purity. Purity yeah, I mean, is virginity. Yeah, those things are very related, and the the penis to vagina virginity is really the only thing that counts in that. And but like that idea of like a, a virginity until marriage and giving it to your father or giving it to God or giving it to this male to hold mm-hmm. until your wedding, which then your husband now owns it. Well, yes. And then we've had the last 30 years of that kind of showing up in our culture. And now we're kind of watching that shift because Mm -hmm. some of the front runners of the purity movement as it stands today are kind of coming out and saying, yeah, this was a bad idea. Mm -hmm. We didn't know what we were talking about when we did this. Right. And it caused damage.
0: So, I mean, that's a good history timeline kind of bringing us to where we are and why I think it's so difficult for us to look back and see sexual health in our history I don't even know that we were really talking about sexual health. Yeah. And so I think that's kind of a newer, you know, 21st century kind of term, latter half of the 21st century kind of term in saying that sexual health is something.
1: Well, I think it says something that we didn't really ask women about sexual health in like till 2005, right? Like most sexual health books were written by men for men Mm -hmm. and most like marital books were written by men for women.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And so really until 2005, we didn't start getting good research about women saying like, it's not that I don't like sex. It's that I'm not having good sex Mm -hmm. or it's not that like I'm exhausted. I don't have, I don't have any more time or any more space to give to this. Or I didn't, I don't even know, like aside from the three positions that my husband likes, like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And there has been a kind of a, another backlash to that where women feel like they need to get educated, but they're going to porn for that, mm-hmm. which is also made by men for men. Right. So again, it, it's this idea of like women really haven't had a space in American history or in American culture to shape what healthy female sexuality looks like. And I'm not like, I'm not just cause there's a whole nother side of this that's about males too. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and and I think that that in and of itself, like we have to talk about because when it comes to patriarchal structures, it's not good for either person. Right. Because it, it is a structure. It is a hierarchy. There is a power dynamic.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And, and, and men in different ways than women, right, are told what their sexuality needs to look like, mm-hmm. um, what it can't look like, um, how much it needs to look like, all of that kind of stuff. Men are also told that as well. So they, mm-hmm. they get a different message than females do. And In some ways, I think that might look like they get to be owners of their sexuality. Mm -hmm. And yet it's really a sexuality that was handed to them and often doesn't serve them well. And
1: so one of the things that I think kind of shows up, and I'm going to stop talking so fast, that kind of shows up with purity culture is this idea that like women are to remain virgins. Like it's that idea of like women don't own their sexuality. But it's also this idea that they're the gatekeeper, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it does make me think of Ghostbusters with, like, the very first Ghostbusters movie with Sigourney Weaver and Rick Moranis, where they're the gatekeeper and the key master. Mm-hmm. And it's a sexual scene. Like, the, the whole thing is kind of, like, they have sex and then, you know, this pagan god shows up and to destroy New York. But that is such a powerful pop culture look at how we treat sexuality Mm
2: -hmm.
1: that women are this gatekeeper that are holding basically holding the dam right like you should have no sexual feelings because you're going to have to tame these sexual feelings of men and if you break like this water is just going to go everywhere Mm -hmm. and it's going to be uncontrolled and they're like it is your job to contain it because men can't it's not their job to contain it. Right. It's not like they literally can't, which is super frustrating, I think, for both sexes, right? Like the idea that you as a male have no self-control. Right. Should be really insulting, I would think. Like men run our world. They are the CEOs. They are the presidents. They are the world leaders. Like. If you have no self-control, why are we trusting you with that? Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that that should be a good thing either. I think that that should be kind of a 50-50 split, like I believe Mm -hmm. everything should be. But I think that's the
0: choice that often we give to men is either your sexuality is too big for you and not even you can control it, or you're anorexic.
1: Yes. And at the same time, the choice that we give women is you don't get to own your sexuality, Mm -hmm. Because you've got to control his.
0: Right. But you need to be an object of his sexuality, right? Yes. You need to be desirable because if women
1: aren't desirable,
0: then what good are they? Right. But you aren't allowed to
1: have your own desires. Mm-hmm. Or your desire should be that you be desirable. Right. And so
0: women focus a lot on how they look. Mm hmm. But a lot of times, you and I both see this with clients that we work with, when we start talking to them beyond looks, beyond physical appearance, about sexual desire, they don't know. They don't even know how to have that conversation with us usually. Right.
1: Well, and I mean, it shows up in our culture in multiple ways. Like the idea of needing to be younger, thinner, fitter, Mm -hmm. more tan, have better eyelashes, like All of that Mm -hmm. is this idea that we should hold the desire of men, not necessarily, and it's a young
0: desire. Yeah, right. It's a young-looking desire. I mean,
1: right. I kind of love like Helen Mirren made a statement, and I'm gonna I'm gonna mess up the quote, but she was basically saying like, look, I didn't become non-sexual just because I hit fifty. I'm having better sex now than I've had my entire life. Mm -hmm. And I think that some of that as women grow into their own self and their own person, women kind of do start to own their sexuality more. But that's also when we start the society starts saying that women are unattractive. Mm -hmm. So again, like if you're no longer holding the damn for us, then we don't want that.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And kind of the flip side of this too is the idea of rape culture. And I think it's always interesting when we talk about purity culture. Like, I feel like we have to talk about rape culture because I feel like they're the exact same thing, just different, different of same sides kind. of the coin. And that's the idea that if women can't own their sexuality and if it's their job to control men's sexuality, then when they don't succeed in doing that, then they get raped. Mm-hmm. And it's their fault. Mm-hmm. Right. It's that idea of if you don't dress right, if you don't present yourself right, if you don't do all the things that you're supposed to in order to, you know, control men, Mm -hmm. then you deserve to be raped. Mm -hmm. It's your fault. It's your fault, which is really the flip side of purity culture, too, that says, like, if you can't be modest enough, if you can't, you know, tell boys no, if you can't hold your line, if you can't know your boundaries then you're not pure, you're not virginal, you're not what God wants. You're not
0: marriage material.
1: Yes. So it's really the same message. Mm -hmm. It's just wrapped in different boxes. And we have, what
0: is that? It's like a traveling display. I know it's been here in Salt Lake City, different states. I think it's called like What I Wore or What She Wore. Yes, What She Wore. What She Wore. And it's really the clothing of female rape victims, right? And they're just hanging up like this is what she was wearing. And it's like jeans and a hoodie and tennis shoes, right? It's just regular looking clothes that you would see on any college campus when she, you know, gets out of bed and has to hurry to class and isn't trying to like pretty herself up or dress herself up or be an object of sexual desire and she ends up getting assaulted. And so I think it is really challenging some of these notions that – Because a woman's dressed a certain way or not dressed a certain way, that she's increasing her likelihood of being raped.
1: Right. Uh, I mean, also, the idea of modesty just isn't accurate. Like, it doesn't make women safer, and it doesn't make men, quote-unquote, lustless. Mm -hmm. That is, that's on the men, Mm -hmm. no matter what the woman is wearing. And, like, the only way to make women safe is to make men accountable, Mm-hmm. Right, like that's that piece of like if someone robs me, we want the robber to deal with consequences.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We don't always want a rapist to deal with consequences. Right. We don't even like using the word rape for what rape is. Right. You know, like I, I tell people in my office all the time, which, you know, it's super fun. I keep saying I'm going to put it up on it as a sign in my office, but like non consensual sex is rape. Mm-hmm. If it's and coercion, is not consent. hmm So if you keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing and she says yes or she says, uh, or she says maybe. Fine. Or, fine. Whatever. I don't know. Okay. I guess. That's not consent. Right. That's just not consent. And we have primed teenagers and early adults to get sex this way.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and I'm not going to say that it's all on our males. Like I think that females buy into this narrative just as much as males mm-hmm. do, right? Like, well, and, and
0: females don't know how to own their no either. Right. And so I think a lot of times they don't give clear messages because they don't get a good response if they say no with any firmness. And that that's not just sexually, right? But I mean, I think... I mean, A lot to of times nice. we tell girls that they don't know what they're thinking or they're wrong or we don't listen to them. So not surprising, girls are also not clearly stating mm-hmm. what they're feeling. We
1: also tell women, don't be aggressive. Mm-hmm. Don't be mean to him. right? Right. You know, don't, like, friend zone is a thing, right? Like, I hear more guys complain about being in a friend zone with females, and I'm always like, women do that all the time. We don't complain about it, mm-hmm. right? Like, we mm-hmm. have male friends. Right. But it's that idea that, like, She should just be attractive to me because I'm an available male, and therefore, Mm -hmm. she should want me.
0: Or be flattered by my advances or my comments.
1: And the idea that she would just want to be friends and have no sexual interest is kind of, like, appalling. Mm -hmm. Or, like, sometimes it's made into a joke, although I think there's a lot of bitterness that comes from that when Mm -hmm. I hear, like, I'm in the friend zone. And again, I'm not... I'm not trying to trash on men. Like, I don't think that that's it at all. I think that men have been given this narrative too, and I don't think it's fair for them. Mm -hmm. And when I talk to men who step out of this narrative, their sex is a lot more fulfilling. Mm -hmm. They enjoy their partner more. They get to explore with their partner, which is this beautiful, messy, creative side Mm -hmm. of sex that I just love. Right? Like, we talked about that in episode one, that, like, sex isn't supposed to be a box. Right, And it's supposed to be creative and messy and vulnerable and beautiful. And when we create so many rules around it that it becomes more Mm anxiety-inducing than creative, like, that's a problem. Right. And unfortunately, I think most conservative churches, in order to not sin, have created this idea of, like, this is what sex is. And it's in a small little box that is unattainable for anybody Mm -hmm. and it doesn't allow anybody to be complex human beings who own their own stuff, are accountable and are desirable. Like I think Mm -hmm. that men want to be desirable too. Like we've, uh, you and I have talked about that where like men are desperate for their wives to want them.
0: Right. 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 When we, when a lot of times when we do talk to men, one of the things, I mean, they can talk a lot about what their arousal template looks like or what turns them on or what kind of porn they like or whatever. But really when it comes down to it, when we have these conversations in our men's group or with male clients, a lot of times what it comes down to is I like a woman I'm having sex with to like having sex with me.
1: Yeah. And sometimes it just stops with, I want her to like having sex. Right. Right, but if if women are doing all of this to please men, and they don't really know what they want mm-hmm. or they need or they desire, like they don't know how to ask right. for that.
0: Well, and they can't fully show up as a partner, right? Right, because they're more to be acted upon, and they kind of freeze or they go blank when we ask them to act.
1: Right. It's funny when I start working when I start working with clients on sexual health, and like we said in the last episode, this is kind of advanced stuff, mm-hmm. but. I always ask, like, okay, so when you guys are trying to figure out where you're going for dinner, who puts the options on the table? Like, Mm -hmm. who decides this is where I want to go to dinner? Like, how do you do that? And not always, but most of the husbands will say, well, she always just says, whatever you want. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And that's pretty much how sex goes, too. Mm -hmm.
0: Or I will have them say, too, like, Um, We can go here or I don't want to go here and I don't want to go here. Right. So we call that leftover sex. Right. Right. I'm not willing to do this and you don't like this and I'm not willing to do that. So we'll do what's leftover. Right. And leftover sex, surprise, surprise, is not good sex.
1: Right. And here's the thing, like kind of going back to the original thing of like how patriarchal structure has dealt with this or like convoluted this, like we don't see a lot of good sexual health in religious texts in Christian or Islam or Judaism, except for maybe Song of Solomon, and you and I have talked about, like, that, or Song of Songs, it's not even Song of Solomon that's been misinterpreted. Like, we don't know who wrote it, mm-hmm. so it kind of depends on who wrote Song of Songs, on whether or not it's healthy sexuality, or whether or not it's patriarchal BS Mm -hmm. like if you're a king like you kind of get whatever you want anyway because you can kill the person that doesn't give it to you
0: right and we often recognize right or I, I don't know that we're recognizing but I think we've bought into historically people have bought into this idea that kings had these appetites, right? They had an appetite for wealth, they had an appetite for power, they had an appetite for land, and they had an appetite for sex that just the queen could not satisfy, right? right? So it was totally acceptable that he was going to have multiple sex partners. Right.
1: Well, even our term, like in psychology, we talk about entitlement a lot. Mm-hmm. Even that term entitlement comes from kingships. Mm-hmm. The idea that just because you are born who you are, you get these things. Right. Like, no. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, like, I don't know that that should, how the, should be how the world works. Mm-hmm. But that is how most of our history is structured. That is how power is structured in the United States right now. He who has the power makes the rules. Mm-hmm. And writes the history. And writes the history. And, I mean, you know, we can talk about revisionist history another time. But that's another piece of that, right? Right. No, you don't get the right to a female's body or you don't get the right to a per- another person's body mm-hmm. just because of who you are right, or what title you hold. And we kind of treat it that way. But I think the other piece of that is like when it comes to patriarchal structures, especially when it comes to religious patriarchal structures, historically what has happened is he who has the gold makes the rules. Mm-hmm. Well, for a long time, women weren't allowed to have the gold. Right. And so some of that really holds to women didn't have a voice still don't have a voice in most conservative religions. women are treated as secondary citizens mm-hmm. even though every origin story, the Bible, the Quran, the Torah all state that God created man and male and female in his image, male and female, he created them in his image like, at no point does he delineate mm-hmm. that in mm-hmm. creation. And yet, and that's in all three books, just so that you're aware. And so, like, when we look at that, that really tells me that, like, we've created the structure. It works well for men in power until it doesn't. Mm hmm. Cause I think that men in power can be very lonely. Like we know that and we see that. Right. right? Because they have power, so they don't need relationship, mm-hmm. but that's not well. True. And,
0: and often, I mean, if we're working with a sex addict client, we're like, it's not just about more sex mm-hmm. and it's not just about more sex with more people. Right. I mean, somehow you were doing that and you ended up in my office So on some level, it wasn't working for you, right? And so if we go back and start to challenge this idea that a king had this kingly appetite for sex and he just kept having more and more concubines, maybe that wasn't what he was after all. Like Maybe had he actually had a partnership with a queen who was more than just benefiting her family and the king's family, Like that's what marriage Mm -hmm. really was, right? Sometimes we talk about the origin of marriage. That was the origin of marriage. It was an arrangement in, in between which, families in which women were used as the bartering tool yeah,
1: in which women are, were bought and sold. Yes, Like it was a form of slavery, Yeah, maybe a different kind of slavery, but it was definitely a form of slavery. And I think even in that, like I look like just looking at the marital laws in the United States are just insane to me that like, men could beat their wives with rods up until like the 1950s -hmm. in most states like that's just insane but even kind of looking at that we as people like we kind of live in this weird dynamic as human beings we're built to grow and create and live in kind of the Mm -hmm. unknown like we were created to be nomads as tribes we moved we shifted we created and yet we so desire this structure and this foundation mm-hmm. for people to tell us what to do. Right. And I think that religion has capitalized on that kind of fear of the unknown, that fear of the dark. Like, if I know what rules keep me safe and keep me in good standing with whoever or mm-hmm. whatever, then I'm good. And and I'll just do that checklist mm-hmm. and it's fine. But that doesn't really work with humanity. Mm-hmm. And we've done that with sexuality. And it really doesn't work with sexuality. Right.
0: I was thinking when you were talking, I can't remember. I should have looked this up before, but I didn't know I was going to have this thought. So I don't remember who it is. Um, I think it's from a book, but also based on research, talking about how long it takes for like our blood to regenerate itself, right? Mm -hmm. How long it takes for our skin to regenerate itself. Sometimes some of these things are months. Sometimes these things for like two years, right? That our body is literally regenerating parts of it. Mm -hmm. And when we look at how our body is continually kind of reinventing itself right and yet we want to keep our sexuality in this box that is bounded right and doesn't grow out of that box or doesn't evolve i think that's where we start to look at and see we have a lot of sexual messages that are not serving people and are breaking down and i think that's where we're starting to look at like what is the sexual health side of this
1: right well and I think the other piece of it is, okay, look, I get that when you have a 12 year old who doesn't know what to do with their body and they're scared and they're not in a relationship and you know, STDs are a real thing and sex is, I mean like 12 is young for sex and Mm -hmm. you know, you have all of this like emotional immaturity happening. Like I get wanting to like put some boundaries there sure. and say like this is how you we might do want that. to wait that's right. kind of a big step but i don't have as a 30 something year old i don't have the same rules that i mm-hmm. had when i was 12 mm-hmm. and yet in these conservative patriarchal structures we do mm-hmm. with sexuality
0: and sometimes women are the biggest defenders of those right
1: well and honestly like i again like When you look at the amount of things that women, which this could be its own episode in and of itself, when you look at the amount of things that women in their mind do every day in order to keep themselves sexually safe, of course they like the rules because Mm -hmm. they just want to be safe. Mm -hmm.
0: I think they also want to have a very clear roadmap to being good. Yes. And a lot of times that good, again, goes back to the purity culture.
1: Yes. And when the entirety of the fall of man has been put on women's sinful nature, Mm -hmm. like you do feel like you have to Mm -hmm. kind of work your way out of that.
0: Well, and I think if, if the belief, right, is that if I'm a good girl, I will be protected from sexual assault, sexual abuse, all of that kind of stuff. Like that happens to sinful women. So if I can be pure, if I can be good, if I can be righteous and spiritual and all those things, I'm somehow protecting myself. And that works until
1: it's completely shattered. Right. Right. And I was going to say, and statistically speaking, that's just inaccurate. Mm -hmm. And the flip side of that, okay, so statistics, it's like one in five women have experienced sexual assault in their lifetime, Mm -hmm. right? And one in 16, you told me this the other day, one in 16s. Their first first
0: sexual experience was unwanted.
1: Yeah. So like, when we look at that, the the flip side of that is that rape culture piece that said, well, that's your fault. Mm -hmm. You weren't good enough. You must have done something bad. -hmm. That you need to repent of, or that wouldn't have Mm -hmm. happened.
0: Well, I think also, I mean, we, you know, I think when we're teaching kids, we're starting to teach kids about sex. But uh, for a lot of people who are doing the teaching, what they're not thinking is that some of these kids have already been sexual, not by choice. Right. Right. But so when you start talking to and educating kids about sexuality, and you're saying you should wait, Mm -hmm. and you're saying, you know, it's not wise to have sex before this age or something. And somebody's first sexual experience was at four, right? They're not going to raise their hand and say, wait a minute, what about me? Mm -hmm. They're going to crawl inside themselves and start to think, well, where do I fit into this? And usually they come to the conclusion that it's not a good place that they fit in.
1: Right. Well, and I remember, so I I was in the pure like the first part of the purity movement, like I experienced that and I remember like they would talk about like how gross it was and how dirty it was. They would use like flowers and pass it around Mm. the room and everybody'd take a petal and then like at the end they were like, This is what you're giving your husband and like um, I think I've used the example with you of the chewing, chewing gum, gum, right? Right. Or like they would show like if you went to bed with your partner, like your partner's also going to bed with this person and that person. Mm-hmm. So like it, it, like it became really like dirty and shameful and like you shouldn't do this. And then they would put this in, in this nice little caveat at the end of like, but if you've already done those things, God believes in a second virginity. Okay, that's not helpful, mm-hmm. right? Like, especially when we're putting in all of the shame of don't do it. And then they're like, but if you have done it, don't feel too bad. Don't feel too bad. Like, you just spent an hour telling kids how dirty and terrible and horrible they are. And then you put in this great caveat at the end. Like, I don't know that that's how that works. Also, again, like, a lot of pressure is put on the girls, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I remember this was a thing. Like, at growing up, and granted, I will say, my mother did a great job at being like, yeah I don't know about all that my mom did a great job at kind of giving us like she was a nurse and so she kind of gave us sexuality in in medical terms and kind of it's like this is what that looks like it's totally your choice if you choose to please be safe please be smart my mom totally went the route of like remember statistics show that if girls have babies outside of wedlock they're less likely to get degrees and Mm -hmm. and so my mom totally pushed the education route on that But in that, like, I remember, like, in youth group or in, like, girls retreats and things like that, there was always this, now, remember, you need to be modest because you don't want to make your brother stumble. Mm -hmm. And so, again, there's a lot of this, like, okay, but why can't he keep himself Mm -hmm. from stumbling? Like, he's got two feet. He learned how to walk, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I learned how to walk. He learned how to walk.
0: I remember as a leader going to activities, like as a church leader for the youth, going to church activities where boys and girls were going to be there. And it's like a beach boating activity. Right. And so it's like, okay, girls, you have to wear a shirt and you have to wear this over your bathing suit. Nope. Two piece and this and that. And I'm like, these are drowning hazards. Uh Like it's literally not safe to put all these clothing over the top of her. Like cotton doesn't do well in the water. It becomes heavy. It's, you know, and they were like, well, but what about the boys? You know, and it's like,
2: make so we're just going
0: to, like, put weights on the girls and, like, be like, don't get in the water because you'll drown. But at least he won't have to see shoulders.
1: Right. Well, and and that, like, also kind of going into that, when I talked earlier about, like, the sexualization of culture, when you make it... Salacious and nuanced mm-hmm. and dirty and wrong and on the edge of taboo—you're pushing the limits, mm-hmm. right? We shame girls as young as six for being sexual mm-hmm. in our culture, right? Six. Or younger, yeah. or
0: younger. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you know, I—I I mean, I do think there's a non-sexual piece to flirting, right? But mm-hmm. I've had people who will say, "My parents told me I was a very flirty baby," and they mean it in a sexual way, and I'm like, "Oh no, no, no." Babies, it's part of their development to see if they can engage people. Like They're figuring out if their world is safe, and so they will make eye contact with you, and they will be flirtatious. It has nothing to do with sexuality, right? right? It's, can I get another person to notice me? Because my life and my survival is based on people noticing and caring for me.
1: Right. And and I think that that whole concept of, like, women's bodies being something that need to be covered or are salacious or tempting, like, one, if a six-year-old's body, if an infant's body is tempting, we've got a problem with society because mm-hmm. they didn't put that on mm-hmm. themselves, right? And we don't want to talk about what society mm-hmm. is doing. But, like, I think one of the things, and I was one of those kids, like, I refused to wear t-shirts when I was swimming because it sucks. Mm -hmm. No one wants to swim in a t-shirt. It sticks to your skin. It's gross. (laughs) Also like just talking about the idea of wet cotton, like I'm having a visceral (laughs) reaction. Like I don't like might as well
0: wear your jeans. Right. Oh
1: gosh. Yeah. And so that's one of those things where it's just like, again, like how uncomfortable can we make females so that men don't have to be accountable. Mm -hmm. Which were, again, purity culture and rape culture are the flip sides of the same coin. And if we don't start recognizing that, that's some of what the Me Too movement is, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. The Me Too movement were women saying like, nah, I've had enough. And Harvey Weinstein was this man who felt untouchable. Mm -hmm. He felt like... For decades, he was. And he was. And then you have like... These reporters who start getting the stories and they're like, we need a spokesperson and we need someone to come out because if one person mm-hmm. comes out, the rest of them will. I mean, that's scary to be the the first female mm-hmm. to come out and say like, yes, this because happened.
0: it's not like females hadn't tried before. Right. Right. I mean, this was another attempt and it took, but women have been trying for a long time to say, hey, I don't like being assaulted.
1: Yeah. I mean, women have been doing that for decades, right? Like, I remember The Accused Mm. with Jodie Foster. Mm -hmm. It's a really, really hard movie to watch. um, And it's not one that I necessarily suggest people watching. High-trigger
0: content. Yeah, Yeah. really,
1: really triggering. It's about a rape. And it wasn't really taken seriously because of who she was. And kind of what came out Mm -hmm. after that. and. Her story, like, I watched that movie at a time when I was dealing with a lot of rape cases. Mm -hmm. And, like, I just remember, like, her story now, which that would have been, I don't know, 10 years ago. But that was still being echoed Mm -hmm. 25 Mm -hmm. years later. Mm -hmm. And 25, like, we made a movie about it, guys. Like, if we made a movie about it, things should have changed, right? Right. But that is one of those, like... It has taken so long for women to be heard. And we're starting to see culture move there, but we're getting a lot of backlash from that too, right? Mm -hmm. Like men have stopped hiring women. Right. Because... I've had
0: clients who are over-hiring or are an upper COO, CEO, who have told me that that was the initial response by their company after the Me Too movement is we cannot hire
1: or promote women. Yeah. And that's not the real answer, Mm -hmm. right? And so this, again, like... We have to kind of have this dialogue of what happens in sexual health. Like, how do we get consent? Mm -hmm. How do we know what consent Mm -hmm. is? What does that look like? And those are messy conversations. Mm -hmm. But those are also the kind of conversations that take the religious or patriarchal structure out of the, like, do's and don'ts Mm -hmm. and cans and can'ts and world of sin and kind of move us into, like, okay, if we're all relational. Mm And we're all talking and functioning and like figuring this out. It's not about if your penis enters the vagina; it's sin.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's not, and everything a, else is, a and everything light. else is fine and great. You know, it's more about like, is this what you want? Is this what she wants? Are mm-hmm. we making sure that that's okay? And and I don't know, and I. I get, like, there's a lot of religious kind of constructs and structures around this, right? Like, wait until marriage. Well, people used to get married at 14, and usually she didn't have a choice in it. Mm-hmm. He was 30. So, like, there, there's just a lot around that that, like, we need to start diving into as a culture of, like, what did that mean then? Mm-hmm. And what does that mean now? And how do we process that? Mm-hmm. The idea that, like, religion shouldn't adapt with culture and society I think it's a really hard one because it has throughout mm-hmm, time,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Like if we look at what the, the evangelical, and I'm just saying evangelical because that's what most Americans identify as, evangelical Christian churches now versus what the early Christian church was with Paul, they are two mm-hmm. very different things. They look very different. If we look at the American church versus the European church, they are very different and hold very different things as important or valuable. If you look at the difference between Protestants and Catholics, if you look at the difference between Protestants and other Protestants, mm-hmm. right? Like, there's just so many variations of what is allowed and what is not allowed and wh- how that shows up. Like, they adapt. So the idea that sexuality can't and shouldn't mm-hmm. is just off.
0: Right. Initially, in transition periods... Yes, more is going to be required of people, Mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah, it's going to take effort and energy to turn the ship in the direction that it works best. Mm -hmm. I said ship, not shit. Just FYI. And so you just said it. (laughs) just Right. So I think it's one of those where more is going to be required, not just of men. But of women.
2: Yeah.
0: And it's not going to be, I tell people all the time, it's not going to be this drudgery. Like, we, the last thing we want is for sex to be even more burdensome and even more bogged down, right? Like, what we want is to start to free it. And if we put some energy and some thought and some education, you know, I'm like, the, the rules for sexual health are pretty simple, right? We talk about safe, s- sane, and consensual. Yeah. And that's a pretty broad net, but... It's also, and it's, they're pretty simple rules, but it allows for a lot of different people and their preferences and their likes. And yes, the other thing that we, I think we have learned as divorce has become more acceptable in the United States, as the choice to not actually get married has become more acceptable Mm -hmm. in the United States. Uh, One of the things that we're seeing, right, is if you're in a committed relationship, this person isn't stuck with you. Right right? They can leave. And so the need to keep the relationship working for both of you goes high. up, right? It's high and it requires more effort. It requires you to keep working on yourself. Mm-hmm. And what we found is that the divorce rate is actually going down because people aren't just like, oh, I'm stuck here,
1: but it's not in Christian communities. Yeah. And I think that that's, that to me is a telltale sign that we've got to shift we've Mm -hmm. got to adapt we've got to move because
0: a lot of those marriages maybe shouldn't be together
1: yeah maybe they shouldn't be or maybe they're giving they're being given tropes when what Mm -hmm. they really need is like to be able to figure out the relationship Right. right like i have two pet peeves that come like religious speak the first is i don't believe in getting a divorce. I heard that my entire life growing up and I've heard Mm -hmm. it from different people in different religious communities. I still hear it. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. Being a therapist changed my perspective on this. I believe in divorce. The only thing that you have to do to get a divorce is to stop trying. Mm -hmm. If you go into stasis, I guarantee you, it may not be tomorrow it may mm-hmm. not be in 10 years, but you are headed for divorce because stasis doesn't work for humanity. Right. So I do believe in divorce. And I think that we have to work our way away from that. Like every day that I connect and reach for my mm-hmm. husband and say, I love you and I care for him and I step into that space and I'm a partner. Mm-hmm. And every day that he does that back for me,
2: mm-hmm.
1: we're working our way away from divorce. Right. right? Like... And we've got a pretty big gap there now right? because we've been together so long and we do that for each other. Uh, One of the sayings that we use in our marriage a lot is we stand back to back and that's because we're nerds and on a battlefield, Mm. you stand back to back to protect each other, but you're equals and you have to pay attention to each other's movements. You have to pay attention to each other, like where you're going and what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Right. And you're helping each other. You're stabilizing each other. You are each other's strength, right? You don't get that in any other formation on a battlefield. And I'm not saying that the world is a battlefield necessarily, but I do think that often me and my husband have to come back and say like, it's us against the world. Like Mm -hmm. we chose each other. We've got each other's back. Mm -hmm. We don't just have each other's back. We're standing back to Mm -hmm. back as equals. Mm -hmm. The other pet peeve I have, and I get that it works for some people, it does not work for me, and it always messes up things in my office, is the idea of the love languages, the, mm. the five, the five languages, love languages whatever. And again, like this was a religious construct created by religious people in order to like simplify and explain how to love each other. And they're all good. Well, and
0: and I also think the premise of that idea that in a relationship, you're going to have to figure out the language of another person, right? Like this other person has a way of being Mm -hmm. that is not yours. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. And it is your responsibility to figure
1: out what language they speak. Mm -hmm. I don't have a problem with that. I don't either. So the premise of it don't necessarily disagree with. But here's the thing. When a wife comes to me and she says that her love language is acts of service and he says his love language is physical touch, I don't believe it. And here's why. We all need all of them. Mm-hmm. That is human connection. And
0: almost all the time that's what they say they are. Yes. women, you're are... like, let me predict. Yeah, I have a really good <laughs> have you you have really read good this at this book.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you are one of these two things. And but here's the thing. And usually he's talking about sex when he's mm-hmm. talking about physical touch. And usually she's talking about she wants him to pick up his laundry off the floor. Right. Right? Like, and so there is this just the sum of this of, like, it's so reductive. Uh-huh. And these are incredibly complex creatures. We are incredibly complex. Right. If you have a religious faith, you believe that. Mm-hmm. You believe that you are incredibly complex.
0: And that's good news. Yeah. It's good news because it means we can continually evolve.
1: And I mean like so there's a okay so there's a book series that I read and they talk about they describe God as infinity and they describe human beings as slivers of infinity Mm. and it's a really neat like book and concept but like I love that idea in terms of talking about human sexuality Because if you, like, a sliver of infinity is still infinity. Mm -hmm. You still have such, like, beautiful, creative space to grow and build and develop. And okay, like, have some constraints around that. Have some rules. I'm all about rules and boundaries, Mm -hmm. right? Like, again, it needs to be consensual. Like, we need to be on the same page. Let's not have any, like, slips or accidents or, like, Things going in the wrong place when the other person doesn't know it's coming. So it needs to be consensual. We need to be talking about that. And that doesn't have to look like a board presentation, right? Right? Like that can be flirtatious. That can mm-hmm. be fun. But make sure it's consensual. Understand what consent is. There's great stuff out mm-hmm. on YouTube right now. Just type in T consent. Right. T E A. And it's great, right? Like it will give you the roadmap of what consent is. Make sure it's consensual. Make sure it's sane, right? Like, mm-hmm. We want to know that we're kind of on, we're not just trying stuff that's out there. Mm-hmm. Like, we want to make sure that we're creating a space that's safe for both people, which right. is the third one. But we also, I mean, like, we kind of want to be present. We want right. to be You don't want to be,
0: like, I mean, this goes along with safe, but I think it's also part of saying, like, sexual pleasure at the expense of your physical health. Right. Right. That's not very sane.
1: Right. Like don't be breaking things or pulling mm-hmm. muscles or like know your limits.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Not everybody is an extreme yogi. So don't do right weird things. Just don't push yourself past the point that you're supposed to. And yeah, make sure it's safe. Right. Like And we can talk about safety in many ways. We can talk about Mm -hmm. physical safety, emotional safety. We want to make sure that we're not using sex as currency. Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that, like... If we're using sex after a fight, it's because we've come back together and we've resolved that fight, right. not that sex is resolving the fight. Well, we want to make sure that we're having dialogue. Can you talk to your partner? If you can't talk to your partner about sex, like that's where we start because mm-hmm. if we're not going to have good sex if we can't talk about it. And if you
0: can't talk to your partner about your passions, your interests, your soul you probably aren't going to be very good at talking about sex
1: either. Or even talking. So here's the other thing. Oh, maybe I have three pet peeves. So the other thing that I really struggle with when it comes to like patriarchal religious structures and things that they say that need to happen in relationships is that like men need to be the head of the household and that women need to submit. I don't really know what that means. And I like, I I've never seen that actually work very often. And when I have like, I question whether or not it works. Mm -hmm. So that's my own, like, bias and I get that but this idea that and I hear men say it all the time they're like well she wants me to be strong maybe Mm -hmm. but maybe she just wants you to talk to her about your weaknesses right like some of the the best conversations that me and my husband have had have been around grief Mm -hmm. when we don't have a whole lot of control around what's happening And we're able to kind of sit and say, like, I get it. Mm -hmm. Like, I know this person meant a lot to you. And I can just sit here with you and let you cry.
0: Right. Well, and I tell men if they say that, like, she wants me to be strong. She wants me to be. I'm like, well, don't let her. Don't let. Why are you letting her do that? Like, I Mm -hmm. think you have to, you know, go back to her and say, this isn't working for me. Mm -hmm. And this is what I'm finding. This is the price that I'm paying personally. And I think this is the price on our relationship.
1: And the other thing that we get into with that is like. We have these gender roles and gender biases that are really perpetrated by patriarchal structures. We like those. They work until they don't. But the problem is like the roles aren't just about who cooks and cleans and who does lawn work. It becomes an emotional power Mm -hmm, struggle. mm -hmm. And if we can't talk about the fact that like, I don't like to do dishes, like I I don't want to do that. I personally, like I love power tools. I get excited about Mm. power tools. I had to learn how to change the oil in my car or to change my tire. Like those were requirements. I grew up on a farm. I know how to run a tractor. I can, I can back a horse trailer on a dime. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, and so it's just some of those things that like were very masculine traits, but like I had to do them. Mm -hmm. So it it wasn't, it was out of necessity that I learned Mm -hmm. those things, but like we have to have conversations with our partner about what we like to do and what we Mm -hmm. don't like to do. And, like, do those roles and expectations actually work for us? Do they make us happy? Mm -hmm. What are we giving up in the process, right? Like, one of the things that we often talk about that women give up when they stay at home to be moms is a lot of freedom and Mm self-reliance, which can have huge impacts on sexuality. Right. When a woman doesn't feel like she is a functional adult contributing to the family, or that that's even being recognized as a contribution, Mm -hmm. she doesn't want to have sex. She doesn't feel like an equal. And vice versa, like, if a man feels like he has to provide all of the safety because he's the only one that can Mm -hmm. do it, like, there's a lot of pressure then to, like, have the right job, Mm -hmm. to have insurance, to make sure, like, he's performing Mm -hmm. at his peak because he can't afford to lose his job. And he's
0: also what i find often feeling very lonely
1: yes and those kind of conversations and i know that it probably sounds crazy but those kind of conversations lead to healthy sex
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay so this is episode two in our series and then we wanted to do another one specifically for the whole good girl sex addict girl Mm uh posit that and then I think we'll we'll wrap it up just kind of talking a little bit more about like addict sex and what we talk about there versus sexual health and also talking more specifically what we see for males yeah. and how patriarchy robs them as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah, cuz I mean like both of those. So we're basically going to take this overview and kind of dive in mm-hmm. a little bit right. deeper because I think we have to recognize that we live in a patriarchal society in which gender roles and sex roles have been mandated and then we can talk about all the nitty-gritty mm-hmm. like how does this actually show up and right that we see
0: yeah the legal stuff this podcast is solely for the purpose of information and entertainment and does not constitute therapy nor should it replace competent professional help the prayer of the perfectionist nobody has time for perfection we are pursuing progress help me to remember the only step i need to focus on is the next right step for me. Help me to remember that life is a journey. Help me to be able to separate all that I am learning from all that I have to do. Help me to remember that I am not alone. I can ask for help. Help me to strive for frequent awakenings, not
2: mastery. I am enough. Amen.